0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, especially those disconnected from Christ. And we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Everybody doing all right today? There we go. Good job. Hey, before we jump into the message... Um, this is not the announcement portion of the service that already happened, but let me just say a couple things that you just heard that are awesome that you need to make sure you were listening for. Those 21 days of prayer and fasting, which starts today leading us to Easter, we'd love to have you be a part of that. That Easter Sunday is a big deal for us because Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul said in the New Testament that if he didn't raise from the dead, then all the rest of it's just a waste of time anyway. So we believe in that and we're gonna celebrate that and have an incredible day planned. But the 21 days are about us getting our hearts right and making sure that we are praying for and inviting people to come with us. We're hoping to have 500 people here on Easter Sunday. There's a big 500 on the wall outside. We'd love to have you go outside on your way out today. Take one of those Sharpie markers and write the names of people that you're praying for leading up to Easter and that you're planning to invite and bring with you. Don't write on the wall. Right on the 500 numbers, okay? So help us with that. But we'd love to have you do that and also to jump into these 21 days of prayer and fasting. If you want the devotionals that go along with it, we'll email those to you. You just need to sign up through our website and, uh, and let us know. We'd love to have you join in that journey with us. When I was in college, I was like most college students in that I didn't have a lot of money. And if there's any college students in the room, I should have gotten an amen right there, but that's fine. It's, it, you're probably sitting next to your parents, so it's no big deal. My parents paid for, like, the educational part of college for me. So they helped to, you know, provide tuition and stuff, which was great. But I had to pretty much take care of all of my living expenses. And so to do that, I got this kind of concoction of the world's craziest part-time jobs at different places. Um, I worked as a cart boy at a country club which means that I showed up at like dark 30 and sprayed out the golf carts so that the members would have clean golf carts by the time that they showed up and wanted to play. So I did that for a little while. And then I sold cable television door-to-door in the most podunk apartment complexes you've ever been to in your whole life. It was terrible. And then I thought, well, this is not you know benefiting me really any money, but I seem to be okay at sales. So I started selling cell phones to businesses Um, so that they could have them for their employees. Um, And that was before like everybody seemed to have a cell phone. It was like only rich people had cell phones and then like kind of sort of rich people had cell phones and then like not really rich people, but they had money people had cell phones. And I was selling it to pretty much everybody else, okay? Didn't make a lot of money in that either. So then my buddy was like, hey, why don't you come work with me at Papa John's delivering pizzas? That's still some of the best money I've ever made also when I developed my eating disorder. But I (laughs) love... Pizza. And so I was like, that's great. And so every night at the end of my shift, I would take a free pizza home, which was a part of the perks and I made good money. And so it was great. Well, then while I was in college, the Lord really began to work in my heart. And I felt he called me into ministry. And so I changed my major from what it had been to kind of pursue and take Bible classes and theology classes and ministry classes. And I got a job as a part time youth pastor at a little small local church there in the town where I was attending college. And the pastor that I worked for was a good man. He taught me a lot about ministry and about life. But he really wanted me to be able to focus on doing ministry at that church. And so even though he only paid me $100 a week to do the job as a youth pastor, he did not want me to have another job while I was working as a youth pastor. He really A youth pastor, he really wanted me to focus my time on the students and the ministry and growing the ministry, which was fine. But he paid me $100 a week, which that's good money in some places. But $100 a week, if you're not very good at math, is about $400 a month and about $5,000 a year, which is pretty much below every poverty line that exists. And uh, when I looked at my rent and utilities that I, in the duplex that I was sharing with a roommate, that was about $300 a month, which left me with $100 a month to do gas and food and anything else that I wanted to do. Now my parents were great. They they were very helpful. My mom's philosophy all of my life is you always need a little cash on you. You just all you just never know when you're going to be in a situation where you need a little cash on you. So every time I was around her when I was leaving her she'd say you need a little cash on you. And I'd say yes. And so if it was 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 whatever she had like in her purse, she would give me so that I had a little cash. Then my dad would say hey, you need a little money and I would always tell him yes. I would not tell him that mom just gave me money. <laughs> That was before my conversion. But I would, so, I, so my dad would then give me money. So then I'd have a little money on me. So they were helpful. You know, but again, it wasn't tons of money. So I was trying to live on like $400 a month from my job there as a youth pastor. And then one day a buddy of mine, we're not friends anymore, but my buddy told me that down in Chattanooga, there was a blood bank that you could give plasma and make money. And I thought, Well, I have blood, and I need money. I'll go do that. So I went down to the Chattanooga Blood Bank. I'm sure it's in a much better part of town now. But when I was in college, I walked into what I assume was several drug deals happening in the lobby. And then they did a, about an hour long medical screening and things and and I eventually gave blood and on your first visit they gave you $50 which was like half a week's salary for me. They gave me $50 and then there was this chart on the wall that for your second visit you got $42. Evidently it's less valuable the second time. And then the third time it was like $39 and then it went back up into like the low 40s and you know they could show you all the different times how many times you gave what you could get for you know for giving your plasma. I didn't even really know what plasma was at that point. I just knew that evidently my blood had it and they needed it and they would pay me for it. And you could give plasma every 72 hours, but no more than twice a week. And I'm giving some college students in this room a great idea right now. You could give plasma every 72 hours, but no more than twice a week. And here's the deal. If you gave twice a week, that meant that you gave eight times in a month. And there was a program called the Crazy Eights Program. If you gave eight times in a month, you got a $200 bonus. So I... (laughs) I'm happy to admit that I was a member of the Crazy 8 program at the Chattanooga Blood Bank. So one time I was at my grandparents' house for Christmas, and and I was in college, and and we're talking about something, and I thought it'd be funny. And I was like, yeah, I'd give plasma for money too. (laughs) And it got really quiet in that living room. And my, my little grandmother, who's still living, God bless her heart, loves Jesus more than any person on the earth, she looked at me with a great deal of compassion and disdain at the same time. And she said, what, baby? What, what are you doing? I said, well, to make money, I'm selling my blood in Chattanooga near some drug dealers. <laughs> and she said, what, what, baby? What, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm a member of the Crazy Aids program in Chattanooga. And They pay me for my blood, and they give me a bonus for the regularity at which I give. And she said, Jeremy, if you will stop doing that, I will send you money. And I said, well, how much money? I didn't say that. (laughs) I thought it, but I didn't say it. The Holy Spirit was working in my life at that point, so I, I didn't actually say that. Today we are continuing in our Jesus Is series. And the first week we talked about Jesus as joy, and last week we talked about Jesus as healer. Today we want to talk about Jesus as provider. And, and, And that was a season of my life where I was learning a lot about who God was and Him providing for the needs that I had. And those lessons have carried me into this place in my life. And some of you have learned lessons like this. But today I want us to look at Jesus is our provider. And to do so, we're going to go to John chapter 6. So if you've got a Bible or device and you want to follow along today, we'll be in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. This is a very famous passage of Scripture. This is a place where Jesus does an incredible miracle as we look at kind of the signs that that John here in this gospel records about the ministry and the life of Jesus. And in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read where he feeds the 5,000. This is what it says. It says sometime after this Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberius, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Now stop here for just a second, which that's kind of what we'll do today. We'll read a few verses and we'll talk a little bit, but It's interesting to me that this great crowd of people followed him, not because they were necessarily interested in following his words or becoming a follower of his teachings. It was because they had heard about the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. There were some things that they had heard about, and their curiosity was piqued, and they wanted to come and see for themselves what this Jesus was all about. And I think if I read that, I might think, well, man, I can't believe that's how they would show up, but I think I'm okay with that. And I think that the storytellers of that day, the people that had experienced Christ, actually told their friends and family members, you've got to come see what I saw. This guy's amazing. And I wonder how many of us that are Christ followers in the room, which I recognize that not everybody in this room is, I wonder how many of us that are Christ followers in the room are good enough storytellers to our friends and family. They say, hey, you need to see what I've seen. You need to experience what I've experienced. You need to come and see Jesus for yourself. Let's keep reading in verse 3. Then Jesus went up onto a mountainside, and he sat down with his disciples, and the Jewish Passover feast was near. Uh, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So let's stop for a minute and talk again. I don't want to make light of any circumstance that you may find yourself in right now. Maybe you're in a place where you have great financial need. Maybe there is a, you're in a season of lack. Maybe you have more bills and more responsibilities financially than you have income or resources to provide to meet those needs. And so this today is not to make light of that or, or to make it seem like it's just very trite and you should get over that in any way at all. Please hear my heart there. But as I read this story, I see a lot of similarities about the circumstances that we find ourselves in and the days that we walk through where we do find ourselves in situations where we have needs. And so the disciples see this great crowd of people coming. We're going to read later that it was 5,000 men and the women and children that were there. So it could have been 10 or 12 or 15,000 plus people that were in this place. And so they see all these people coming together And in one of the gospel accounts, we see that the disciples, according to that recording, the disciples asked Jesus, how are we going to feed them? What are we going to do? But in this instance, Jesus is the one that kind of, he starts the conversation. He initiates the conversation with the disciples and he says, where are we going to get enough bread to feed all these people? But he wasn't asking so that Philip would give him the answer. He was actually asking to test Philip to see if Philip believed in who Jesus was and what Jesus could do. Remember, This is the same group of disciples that had watched Jesus take water and turn it into wine. He had literally changed the chemistry of something to become something else. They had watched him as he performed miracles. These people are showing up just to watch the guy who had healed the sick. He walked up, and we talked about last week, to the pool of Bethesda where sick people are laying everywhere. And he takes a man and he says, do you want to be well? And he helps him to get up and he walks we, we see that people were healed, their blindness was healed, and they were sick, and he healed them, and he, he has these amazing things that are happening. And so he's testing Philip to say, Philip, do you actually believe that I am who I say that I am, and I can do what I say that I can do? He was testing him. And I just wonder, in your circumstances and in mine, if our situation is actually a setup, if God actually already knows how he wants to meet your need, If God is already aware of how he can solve the need that you have, he can meet the need, solve the problem, answer the question that you have, but he wants to know if you actually believe that he's capable to do it. What if your situation is actually a setup? Verse 7, Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? There's two thoughts that I have here in these few verses that we just read. Philip is answering the question. Jesus said, how how, are we going to get enough bread to feed all these people? And Jesus had something in mind. He already knew what he was going to do. But Philip, in response, is trying to come up with the bare minimum. He doesn't want everybody to get full. He just wants everybody to get a taste. He said it would take half a year's wages just for us to get enough bread so that everybody gets a little bite. You ever been at like a wedding reception or a party when they're walking around with appetizers, and it's not enough to fill anybody up? It's not in the big muffin tins. It's like in the little muffin tins. Like it's just you get it, and you, you eat it, and you're like, I think I just tasted it. I don't even know if I tasted it. There wasn't enough there of flavor of nut, like... This is what Philip's trying to do to answer the question. He's saying, well, if a half a year's wages, we could give everybody a little, like a small taste, like a little tiny bite. Jesus already knew how he was going to answer the problem. He already knew how he was going to meet the need, and yet Philip's trying to come up with the bare minimum. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he says, well, you know, there's this little boy, and he's got five barley loaves, and he's got two fish, but this is not enough to meet this great need that we have. I wonder for all of us in this room if that's how we present what we do have to God in times of need. If we say, well, I mean, I have this. I mean, it's just a, just a little part-time job. I mean, I just, it's, just a little, you know, it's just a little thing over. It's just a hobby. Like, it doesn't even bring in money right now. It's just I, How could this do anything to meet the need that I have? It's just this thing that I do. Like, when the kids go to bed and I don't think there's an income stream in that. I'm not really sure. It's just, you know, it's just a little part, just a little business. I mean, I started it, but I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's going to make, I'm not sure if it's going to grow. I mean, like what, what can I do with five little barley loaves and two little fish? And I don't even, I don't even have a job right now. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't have anything in my, this is not enough to meet the need that I have. And what I discover here is what I discover throughout the Bible and what I have experienced in my own life, that God counts differently than you and I count. He counts differently than I count. And if you walk out of this room today with nothing except what's about to show on that screen, I hope that it changes your life. Jesus plus zero is enough. If all you have is Jesus, you have enough. If all you have is Jesus, like, I appreciate the fact that they found five barley loaves and two fish. But if they would have walked back and said, listen, we have searched this entire crowd and nobody thought ahead to bring a snack. There's nothing out there among the thousands of people. I think Jesus could have just called down manna from heaven. I told you two weeks ago something that my parents taught me that has been a truth in my life that when you get to the place when you discover that God is all you have, you will discover that God is all you need. Zero plus Jesus is enough. If you say, I don't have anything, but I have Jesus, you have enough. You say, well, I just got this little bit, and I'm going to give it to Jesus. It's enough. It is enough because he counts differently than we do. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. I love that John wrote this. There was plenty of grass in that place. So they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Then Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Remember, Philip wanted to just give them a little bite. Jesus wanted to give them as much as they wanted, as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, He said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. While Philip was wanting to make sure that everybody just got a little taste, Jesus wanted to make sure they got full. Jesus had a plan in mind when he asked the original question, and his plan was not that they would go home hungry because they just had an appetizer. He said, no, I want you to get full and there will be leftovers, 12 baskets full. Just that aside, this has no theological value at all, I don't think. Did you notice that the leftovers were only the bread? Everybody ate the fish. They ate all the fish that there was. It said that they got 12 basketfuls of the barley loaves. Now, that would not happen in my house because I'm a bread guy. I can eat bread about any way you can make it. I'd have been like, just, just bring the extra bread. It's, we'll eat it. It's fine. Just, is there a little oil we can dip it in the oil? Oh, I love that. Go ahead and bring it right here. It's fine. But they ate all that they wanted, and there was 12 baskets left over. There's always more than enough. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, Elsewhere in the New Testament, we see that the power that raised Jesus from the dead, which we'll celebrate at Easter, is the power that lives inside of us if you're a Christ follower. And not just that power, but here Paul is, he's ending a letter. He's ending a correspondence with this church in the city of Ephesus. And as he does, he's actually talking about the glory of God. He's not talking about your power in you. He's talking about the glory that, that God deserves and what is due to God. And he says that one, that the God that will receive that glory, the God that will get everything that's due him, he gives us exceedingly, abundantly, above anything that we could ask. And even if you don't ask it, if you can just think it, if you can just imagine it, he gives us exceedingly abundantly. He meets the need with leftovers. And again, I recognize you may be in a place in your life right now where you go, I don't feel leftovers. I would just take a bite. If I could just meet the need, like if this is the threshold of the bills, if I could just get within a few dollars, I could probably sell a few things off and kind of get to that place where I just get enough. What if God wants to do something different? What if we're trying to think, man, I could pick up some more hours, I could do this, I could sell some stuff off, and maybe that's the way God will meet the need, which we'll talk about in a minute. But what if God knows how he wants to meet the need if only you will trust in him to be your provider? If you don't look to yourself as if I work hard enough, or if I do this, or if I do that, if God is my provider, what if he desires to meet the need in a different way? See, the problem that we have is that sometimes... Even when God has been faithful to us, even when God has done it before, we tend to forget. In the Old Testament, there's the story of the children of Israel. They come out of Egypt, they come out of captivity, out of their slavery, and they're headed towards the Promised Land. And they spend 40 years kind of walking in circles, not going into the Promised Land because of a cycle of disobedience. I love you, God. I'm going to disobey you. I love you, God. I'm disobeying you. I love you, God, but not enough to follow all your instructions. So just part of them. And so we see this constant tension in their relationship, which we could easily stand in judgment and say, well, how could they do that? Except that's really what we do a lot of times. And so we see that constant tension. So they come out of Egypt. They walk out of Egypt and they walk out of slavery and captivity and they walk out in the desert. And in Exodus chapter 16, we see that the people begin to grumble and complain because their stomachs begin to grumble and complain that they are hungry. This is what it says in verse 2 of Exodus 16. In the desert, the whole company grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat, which sounds amazing, and ate all the food we wanted, But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this whole assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Now, the people that are complaining, just so we're all on the same page, the people that are complaining are the people that were in captivity, that God sent plagues and he sent supernatural signs and wonders to get them out of captivity, they're they're walking away and they come to a place where there is a body of water, the Red Sea, right in front of them. Their enemy is chasing them from behind and God miraculously has Moses to go and, and put his staff down and step in and the waters roll back And these millions of people walk across on dry land to get out of Egypt, get into the wilderness, heading towards the promised land, and when all of them have crossed on dry land, the waters roll back and drown their enemies. That was like just a few days ago. They're grumbling and complaining because they're hungry. They're upset about it. And I just wonder if you and I are anything like them, And maybe we fall into this same trap of how quickly we forget God's previous provision in our present time of need. How quickly we forget God's previous provision in our present time of need. When the bill shows up, when the call comes, when you get the news and it's overwhelming and you're flustered and you're you're fearful and you're anxious and you're not sure how you're gonna pay it and what you're gonna do, how quickly we forget that the last time we felt that way and the last time we got that bill and the last time we got that news and the last time we were in that circumstance, God showed up. And yet we're afraid he may not show up this time. We're just afraid that he he may not. But what if he doesn't? What if if he doesn't? What if God doesn't do what he did before? Man, can God even meet this need? This seems bigger than the last time. This seems worse than the last time. I'm not sure that God can do this. I'm not sure that God, how quickly we forget. God's previous provision in our moment's present need. Verse 14. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person that you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer... The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered just as much as they needed. They didn't even know what this was. They had never seen it before. I always thought manna kind of fell like bread. It was like you picked up a loaf, and you fed your family in the tent. We read later in the Old Testament that it came down like seed, like a watery type of seed, and they gathered it up. Just think of an omer, just imagine putting it in a gallon jug. You're just scooping it up in a jug, one jug for every person in your house, and you would go into your house and you'd sit around the fire there just outside your tent, and you would actually form it into cakes. And you would take those cakes and you would cook them over the fire, and then you would eat them, and the Bible tells us that it tasted kind of like olive oil. And so they're, they're sitting here now eating manna, Eating the blessings of God. God has provided. They don't have to go and do anything. Just step out of the tent. God has provided for you. Days one through five, you got enough just for that day. Remember what he said. I'm going I'm to send manna, but I'm really sending it to see if the people will follow my instructions. Because they just came out of Egypt where they were slaves, where... Everything that they needed was provided for them by someone else, but we're headed to the promised land and I've got to get some stuff out of them before I get them into the promised land. They've got to trust me more than they trust their ability or someone else's ability to provide for them. They've got to trust that I will provide for them so that when they walk in to a foreign country, they walk into these foreign nations and I say, this land is yours, this nation is yours, go and take hold of everything that I've given to you. They will believe me when I tell them that. And they will follow my instruction, and they won't kind of cow down and bow down to someone else that comes at them like their slave owners did. They will trust when I say that I am God, and it's theirs, and they can have it. So I need to teach them how to trust me. So days one through five, you walk out and you get enough for that day. Doesn't matter if you seem like you're getting too much or too little. When you measure it, you're gonna have just enough. Day six, you get enough for day six and day seven. So every day, you've got to trust that when you walk out, That day's provision will be right there. I am teaching you the daily pattern of trust. Day six, we do that with two days so that on day seven, you can rest. You don't do work on day seven as a part of the covenant commandments there with God. And so day six, there's gonna be enough for two. If you try to keep two days worth, days one through five, it's gonna spoil overnight. You keep two days worth, day six, it's going to keep overnight. It's the provision of God. Do you trust me enough to follow my instructions? Do you trust that I am your provider But they were talking about pots of meat. They were talking about something else back there. Yeah, we had pots of meat, but after we ate the pots of meat, they beat us nearly to death for not meeting our quota with bricks. It's it's never as good as we remember it being back there. Egypt was not pots of meat. It was slavery. It was entire generations of God's people in captivity to someone else never as good as we remember it back there. He says, do you trust me enough? But what if, what if the provision of God looks different than you thought it would? What if you're thinking about pots of meat and God sends bread seed? And I referenced it a little earlier, but what if you're saying, God, I need more money, and God doesn't actually put more money in your checking account, but he provides another way for you to experience provision. When Corey and I got married, We didn't have a lot of money. We were newlyweds. We got pregnant three months into our marriage. Not the plan, but we got pregnant, loved it. It was great. Thank you, God, for that blessing. We needed some money. So we cleaned the church office where we worked for $50 a month just to help have enough money to pay the bills. And we were always looking. She got a little job at a little daycare, and we were always looking for, you know, God, just provide, help us. You know, help us get more money to pay our bills and to do the things that we need to do. And one day, randomly, I got a letter from my car insurance company. And I opened the letter and it said, you know, due to whatever, whatever, I was skimming, you know, your, your monthly premium's gone down $38 a month. I thought, that's not how companies do business. This is a scam. So I called my dad. I'm like, this is not legit. Listen to this. He's like, no, 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 it's good driving. Read the first two paragraphs, Jeremy. Go back and read it. Don't skim it. Read it. <laughs> so I read it. He's like, you know, went down. he said, that's as good as a raise. I said, no, it's not. He said, yeah. He said, you know, when you think about your money, you're thinking about you've got outgo and you got inflow and now you got less going out. That's, you've got more money available to you. That's, that's like a raise. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I guess it. What if God decides to meet your need in a different way than you imagine? You're praying, God, give me more money. God, do this thing. And what if God's saying, hey, I'm going to provide a promotion at work, maybe. Or I'm going to provide an extra shift that you can take. You've got to work a little harder, but, man, there's something you didn't even know was available. Or I'm going to lower this bill or obligation. Or you're going to make a hard decision and you're going to budget over here a little differently, but it's going to free up this. And, like, what if God helps you through his sovereignty and his wisdom to actually see his provision in a new way? Are you okay with that if it turns out differently than you thought? Because the children of Israel were not. That constant cycle of disobedience and trying to love God and then not love God. Look at this in Numbers chapter 11. Now the people, verse 1, the people complained about their hardships. Verse 4, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. What did you used to see as a blessing that you now see as a curse? What's that thing back there that you celebrated as the answer to your prayers? And now you resent it. You say, God, please give me this job. Please help me to land this job. And you get the job. And two years later, you're going, oh, I got to go to my stinking job. I don't like anybody there. I hate what they ask me to do. You say, God, I need a car. I need you to help me get a car. And you get a car. And three years later, you're like, man, I wish I had a better car. This car is terrible, it's, right? What, what was an answer to prayer back there? You, you don't have to do anything but walk out of your tent and pick up food for the day. It was an answer to prayer back there. But today you resent it. Check your heart, search your heart. What is it that used to be a blessing in your eyes and now you see it as a Curse. You know, Corey and I have four young kids. They're 12, 10, 7, and 5. But when they were even smaller, especially the younger, I mean the older kids when they were younger, we would put juice boxes in the door of our refrigerator, like down low enough where they could open it and get the juice box out. And if you would have asked them in that season of time, where does juice come from? They would have said the refrigerator. Juice comes from the refrigerator. They got a little older. They were going to the grocery store with us, and they started to recognize that when we went to the grocery store, we bought juice boxes to take home and put into the refrigerator. I think if you would have asked them during that season, they're pretty smart kids, they probably would have said juice comes from the grocery store. But here's what you and I know. The grocery store doesn't make its own juice. You know, somewhere a company is making it in a warehouse in a They're making it in some way, and then they distribute it to the grocery store. So maybe we would say juice comes from a company that makes it. But if it's good juice, you know, I mean, if it's got any percentage of real fruit juice, then somewhere down the timeline, if you go back, it's coming from fruit, which is coming from some farm somewhere. So we might say that juice comes from farms, Somebody picked fruit, squeezed the juice out, sent it to a warehouse, factory somewhere. They made the juice, give it to a distributor who gets it to a grocery store where we buy it and put it in our refrigerator so our kids have juice. But if there's fruit anywhere in the process, then that fruit started with somebody putting a seed in the ground. Somebody somewhere at some point in time put a seed in the ground that became a fruit on the vine that somebody picks, that somebody squeezes the juice out of to get it to a company who makes the juice, who gets it to a distributor, who gets it to the grocery store, who gets it to my house so that my kids can get it out of the fridge. So juice comes from a seed. Genesis chapter one, verse 11. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds, and it was so. And the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. I want my kids to know that juice comes from God because seeds in the ground were his idea to begin with. Here's the trap you and I fall into. We think we are our provider. It was our idea to start the job, start the business. We came up with the product. We do the service or we pay the people that do. We go to our job and they give us a paycheck. It's our hard work. It's our work ethic. And all of those things are good. But if we're not careful, we think we are self-made men and women. And we are not Because just about every time you got that job because somebody helped you get the education or the experience to land that job. Somebody invested in you, took time to mentor you, teach you. That relationship was probably the result, I believe, of the sovereignty of God crossing your path with someone else who could position you for your future. A teacher that taught you concepts that you may use on your job now because she invested, because she went to school to learn what was necessary, or he went to school to learn what was necessary to teach people like you so that you could be successful later in life. A mom or a dad or a grandmother or a grandfather, an aunt or an uncle, or someone that taught you basic life skills when you were growing up in your house. You trace it all the way back book of Psalms says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. Before you had the ability to be successful on your job, he created you out of seed. Somewhere back there, God had an idea. And that idea and that story and that journey comes to fruition if we acknowledge that he is our provider. Juice comes from God and so does everything else that you have and so does everything else that you need because he is our provider let's pray God I thank you today that you do provide for us that you meet our needs that you accomplish great things in and through us and God today I pray for every person that has a need They don't know how they're going to make ends meet. They don't know how they're going to pay that bill. They don't know how they're going to accomplish the things that need to be accomplished. And so God, right now, I pray that you would meet their need as their provider. God, help them to have a sense of peace as they look to you. It may look different than they thought it would, but God, let them search with spiritual eyes to see how you might be at work in their circumstance. God, I pray for every person that may be in a season where there's not lack. There's not a lack of resources. There's not a a need right now that seems overwhelming to them. Would they continue to acknowledge you as their provider in this season? And God, would they not come to a place where they resent now what they used to thank you for? Where they lose that sense of gratitude and thankfulness for the answered prayer back there because it just never tastes as good as what they remember. God, would you help us all to maintain an attitude of gratitude to be thankful for what you've done, all that you are accomplishing in us. And God, every time that a new need comes and presents itself to us, would we look to you to continue to be our provider, help us never fall into the trap where we think we're self-made man, self-made woman, but God, ultimately, everything started with a seed and that was your idea. And we continually reap the benefit of it. God, let us leave this place today with our eyes fully on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com cantonchurchga.